Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can spend looking into your word together. And we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed. Even parts of your word that are hard for us to understand and may even be tedious for us to read. Lord, it is all breathed by you and it is carefully preserved by you. You have gone to a lot of effort and work to make sure that we have these words before us this morning. Help us not to skip over your word and to ignore certain parts of it, but help us to dig deep into your word and get what application we can from it so that we can be helped as we serve you as your servants. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, finding your name on a list is always satisfying in some circumstances. Some circumstances you don't want to find your name on the list if it's a bad list. But there's many lists that we're actually satisfied to see our name there. And one experience for me with lists and finding satisfaction is when I go to wedding receptions. You know, you've been invited to the wedding reception, you've got the invitation, but you get there and they've got a list up of different tables and where you are to sit. And there's always, it just raises in my mind the doubt that maybe I've been left off. Maybe they've forgotten to place me on the list and tell me which table I'm going to be sitting at. And so when I go there, there's, there's that little bit of apprehension as I walk up to maybe the pin board or if someone's there marking lists and names off the list. I am very satisfied when they say, oh yes, Joel Radford, yes, you're at table, whatever. It's very satisfying to find your name on certain lists. And this morning, we have before us in Ezra chapter 2, one of God's lists. Now, I didn't get Jill to read it this morning because I thought it might be um, difficult and it would take a fair amount of time if we read all 63 verses of Ezra chapter 2. But uh, this is basically the list of God, one of God's lists that he has throughout the Bible. And this particular list is a list of those who accept God's freedom and go back to the land of Israel. Remember last week we started our series on Ezra and we saw Cyrus make the offer to all the Jews, if you want freedom to leave from Babylon where you've been in captivity for 70 years, if you want that freedom, you can go. You can go back to the land of Israel. And we saw a little bit about who goes back and what they took back with them. And now in Ezra chapter 2, God has carefully left us a particular list of all the different people and the numbers of who went back to the land of Israel, who accepted God's offer of freedom. And so what I want to look at firstly this morning is who gets to be on God's list of freedom. And so if you've got a bulletin there, I've got uh, seven points about who gets to be on God's list of freedom. And we're going to work through this passage. Uh, We'll work through it swiftly uh, together. I won't be reading out all the names and the numbers. And I would encourage you when you come to a list like this in your own personal Bible reading uh, to not necessarily read it word for word, but to skim down and to observe different names that may pop up and that you have questions about and to sort of get the headings. The NIV translation is very good at sort of blocking it into series for us. And we're going to look at how it's blocked it for us uh, in a a second, but I would encourage you when you come to passages like this, don't be put off in your own personal Bible reading. 
but carry on and, and, and glean what you can uh, from the text as you do so. And I'll try and uh, give you an example of how you can glean uh, good material from this uh, list this morning that uh, may have been uh, something that we would have brushed over and just skipped on to chapter 3. So who is on God's list of freedom? Who is on God's list of freedom? Well, firstly, we see that leaders are on God's list of freedom. And they're mentioned for us in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2, basically. I'll read from uh, Ezra chapter 2, verse 1. If you've got a black church Bible, that's page 461. Page 461 of the black church Bibles, Ezra chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So that's telling you that this is a list of people who have accepted freedom. And then it says in verse 2, in company with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvi, and Rehum, and Benar. We've got a list of names there, and it doesn't really tell you that they're leaders, but it does hint at it when it says in verse 2, in company with. So these are basically the leaders of the Israelites as they go back. And uh, we get a couple of clues to show that they're leaders by the fact of who's there. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is going to show up again and again, and particularly as you look in the minor prophets, the post-exilic prophets. Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiachin, who was the last king of, of Judah before, um, before Nebuchadnezzar came in and basically abolished the, the dynasty there. So he is heir to the throne. He's not functioning as king, but he is of the line of Judah. He's of the, the kingship line. He's of the line of David. And so he, we'll see, uh, takes on more and more of a leadership role. And so he is one of the leaders. And then Jeshua, the second name there in verse 2, he's actually the high priest. And we get clues from that uh, later on in the text. But he's the high priest there. So you've got someone who's prince, who could be king, uh, and there's someone who is the high priest. And so then the other people there are listed. We assume that they are leaders of the Israelites as they go back as well. Uh, there is a Nehemiah there. That's not to be confused with a Nehemiah who comes later. Uh, that's not the Nehemiah. It's just a common name, Nehemiah. Uh, and then the other person that you might latch on to is Mordecai there and think, Esther, oh, Mordecai, Uncle, Uncle Mordecai is coming back. Uh, but no, um, it's not him either. So uh, don't jump to that conclusion. Zerubbabel and Jeshua are the two uh, that we know something about. And these are the leaders of Israel. These leaders are on God's list. They're the first group. Second, Jews by blood are on God's list of freedom. And these are the people listed from verse 3 down to verse 20. Verse 3 to verse 20. So these are the descendants, it says in verse 3, of Parosh, and then it goes on of, 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 which means that they're descendants uh, from uh, those, those people that are listed there. So these are people who are Jews and can prove it by the fact that they're related to previous Jews. And so we know that they're Jews by blood. And then third, after them, we get Jews by location. Verse 21. So we've had Jews by blood, but then we have verse 21, the men of Bethlehem. So we've actually got towns listed there. Before we had names listed, now we've got towns listed. And I'm sure you would immediately, when you see Bethlehem, think, oh yes, I know that's a town, because of course that's where our Lord uh, was born, uh, where Jesus was born, in the little town of Bethlehem. And 
uh, from then on, you've got different lists of different. Uh, you've got a list of uh, places of towns. Now, why are these people listed by location rather than by blood? Why aren't they in the previous list? Well, commentators try and work this out, and the most likely explanation is that these are people who couldn't couldn't give family records as to where they came from, who were their descendants, but they knew where they lived before and they were able to prove that they lived in these particular towns. And you have to remember that Israel, when it was divided up into its each region, it was given to particular groups of people related by blood. So the people related to Judah went to one area, the uh, people related to Reuben went to that area, Asher, Dan, all by blood the towns were divided up. And so if you could prove what town you came from, it said something about the fact that you were related to at least that tribe. And so they could prove that they were Jews by their location. It's kind of like today where we have a small town and people say, oh, where do you come from? And you say that town and you go, oh, well, yeah, then you're probably related to so-and-so, particularly if you know their surname. And it's kind of that whole idea of small towns are inbred, you know, where you think that you know, if you come from a certain town, you've all got six fingers on each hand and six, fing- uh, six toes on each foot. It's because you're all related. There's a lot of inbreeding that goes on. And it's the same sort of idea here that you can have some idea about family history based on your location. And so these people can basically prove that they're Jews by where they came from. I used to live in Bethlehem, is what these guys are saying. And so they say, oh yes, well then, and you can prove it, right, well then you obviously are a Jew. So that's the third group. Fourth, corporate worship helpers are on God's list. And we have a couple of um, groups of these in the corporate worship helpers. Firstly, we've got the priests in verse 36. So there from verse 36 down to verse uh, 38, the priests, what is the job of the priests? Well, they're the people who do the sacrificing. So one of their main jobs is to uh, perform the temple sacrifices. So they assist the people in getting right with God, with worshipping God correctly, by making sure they're offering the right sacrifices. So we've got priests there, and then we've got Levites. Now remember that Levites, uh, basically priests, are a subsection of Levites, but not all Levites got to be priests. But some uh, the, the Levites that got to be priests were helped by the other Levites. So the Levites here are listed separately because they're attendants of the priests. They aren't the priests as such, but they help those priests do their work of sacrificing. And it's interesting to note that the number of Levites is extremely small. See that in verse 40? Verse, uh, verse 40 says that there's 74 Levites go back. That of the whole lot... Uh, we're, we're talking basically uh, 43,000 people, roughly, go back. You've only got 74 Levites. And commentators think that this is because they knew that if they went back, they couldn't be priests. They'd just be the attendants. They'd just be the, the sort of the, the dog's body that you know, does stuff. And so they weren't that crash hot on returning because they knew uh, that they wouldn't be giving some sort of exalted role. And I'm not sure whether that's the case, but it is interesting that only 74 Levites go back. Who else helps with corporate worship? Verse 41, the singers, the descendants of Asaph. We have 128 of those go back. What do singers do? Well, of course, they're the people who help. They're like the, uh, a form of a choir, of help with the singing. So they um, assist with worship by leading the people in music and also uh, writing songs and, uh, and composing so that people can worship God correctly uh, with, uh, with praise uh, through song. 
And then we've got a last group of, uh, uh, no, not last, uh, another group of worship, uh, corporate worship helpers, and that's verse 42, the gatekeepers of the temple. Uh, who are the gatekeepers of the temple? Well, they're people who mind the gates. Uh, if we, we might go back and have a look. Uh, in Chronicles, uh, they're listed what they do. One Chronicles, so two books back from Ezra, if you've got a Bible there. One Chronicles 9, gatekeepers don't get much of a, a rap, so I thought maybe we should flip back and, and give, them a, give them a hearing this morning. Gatekeepers, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 26. What do, the, what do the gatekeepers do? 1 Chronicles 9, verse 26, page 403 of the Black Church Bibles, 403, says, verse 26, but the four principal gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted with the responsibility for the rooms and treasuries in the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it and they had charge of the key for opening it each morning. So they do what their name says, they keep the gates. They've got the keys and they stay there overnight making sure that the temple's all locked up securely and they open it up of a morning. And then we also see in verse 28, some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple service. They counted them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. So you've got sort of some functioning as bouncers on the doors, uh, making sure that people don't get in uh, when they're not supposed to. And then you've got some who are basically operating as security, counting out articles, making sure who took out that piece of um, article from the, the treasury here and are they going to return it? They're keeping some sort of record. So they're operating as security personnel in, in the temple there. And uh, some of them also do uh, some other odd jobs around the place. Verse 29, others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary as well as the flour and wine and the oil, incense and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices there. So um, they also do some of the other odd jobs there, making sure that the furnishings are all in order and uh, that they've got enough supplies. So that's what we've got returning. We've got the gatekeepers there in verse 42 of Ezra chapter 2, gatekeepers going back. And then we have also temple servants, verse 43. Who are these temple servants? Well, they were actually instituted by David, King David, that he would have temple servants there. And a number of these names here are basically foreign names, they're non-Jewish names. And so these people were probably prisoners of war who had been taken by David and been given menial tasks at the temple that um, basically uh, to save the Jews having to do some of the hard work around the place. And then we see that these were added to, in verse 55, we see a reference to that they were added to, in verse 55, the descendants of the servants of Solomon. Solomon also added some more people uh, to this role of doing menial tasks. And so what sort of tasks would they be doing? They'd be chopping the firewood for the sacrifices. Um, if you've ever chopped firewood, which I have done, it's hard work. And so the Jews uh, had assigned this task to other people who were there. And so they'd be chopping the firewood, bearing water, doing those menial hard labour tasks. Uh, and so that the, the Jews didn't have to there as well. So we've got corporate worship helpers, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants. Fifthly, the other group is unconfirmed Jews are on God's list. Verse 59 to 60. It says, verse 59, the temple servant, uh, verse 59, the following came up from the towns of Tel Milah, Tel Harsha, Kerub, Adon, Immer, 
but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. And then at least who they're descended and who they claim to be descendants of. So these are people who can't confirm their Jewish heritage, but they claim that they can, that they will that they are Jews. Why is it important that they should prove their Jewish heritage? Well, one of the big problems of uh, if you can't prove that you're a Jew is that when you have property disputes, why, how was property divvied up in Israel? It was by name, by, by who you're related to. And so if you want to claim, particularly these people remember going back to an area that has some enemies living in it, if you want to settle property disputes, you're going to have to say, yes, I am a Jew and I own this block of land. Cyrus has given it back to me. And then when another Jew comes along and says, hey, that's my part of um, the land, well, if you can't prove that you are a Jew and belong to the clan that you claim to be, well, then you don't have grounds to settle the dispute. And the other reason, of course, that you want to prove that you're a Jew is, um, and that you'd be wanting to prove it here in the Bible, is because it shows God fulfilling his promises. God's promises has, have been that he would put his people in his promised land. God's promises always concern people. They concern the fact that he will uh, care for them by giving them a particular land and that he will preserve them. And so if you want to see that God's promises are fulfilled, then we have to see Jews being looked after. And so there's this importance to show with the others we see that they can do it, that Jews are being preserved, that God's promises concerning Jews are being fulfilled. But this little group here can't show that because they can't show that they are related to, uh, to, to Israel, back to, to Jacob. They can't prove it. So we've got them, but are they rejected? Are they sent away? Are they told, you can't get on the freedom list, you have to stay here in Babylon? No, they're allowed to go. There's no hint there in the passage that they're told, no, you can't come, you're not Jews, you can't prove it. No, they're coming. And then there's another group of unconfirmed people, and that's my sixth point, Unconfirmed priests are on God's list of freedom. And they're from verse 61 to 63. And so it says there in uh, verse 61, and from among the priests, and then it lists them uh, by name. And then it says in verse 62, these searched for their family records, but they could not find them. And so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there was a priest ministering there with the Urim and the Thummim. These priests can't prove that they're priests, that they're related to Aaron and therefore related to Levi. They can't prove it. What's the point? Why, why is it a big issue? Well, even though there's a small number of people going back, these people are wanting to make sure that they're doing the right thing, that they're obeying God's laws. God has said who is allowed to be priests. Not everybody's allowed to be a priest in Israel history. And if you started doing sacrifices yourself and you weren't permitted to do so, you got in big trouble. And so there's a particular concern here that we're going to worship God correctly. And if people can't prove that they're priests, then they shouldn't be offering sacrifices. We want to worship God correctly. But are they excluded? No. They aren't excluded. Just like the unconfirmed other Jews aren't turned back, these guys... They aren't excluded from being on the freedom list and they aren't excluded from having some of the food uh, that is allocated to the priests, but they're just not allowed to eat, it says in verse 63, the most sacred food. 
until there was a priest ministering there with the Urim and the Thummim. Um, the Urim and the Thummim, I don't know if many of you know what that actually is, um, it's uh, a way of discerning uh, God's will. Uh, it, it, people really aren't quite sure what it exactly was. It seemed to be some sort of jewels that may have been or some sort of rocks that were on Aaron's uh, ephod, the, the high priest's ephod, his, his clothing on the breastplate there. And uh, whether it was through light hitting them or something, it was meant to reveal the word of God. But there's another view that it was kind of like um, a yes and a no uh, stone, that one side was yes, a sort of flat stone, the other side was no, and you had two of those. And if you flipped them and they both came up yes, then you did what you were planning on doing. If you flipped them and they both said no, you said, no, I'm not doing it, God doesn't want me to. And if it came up yes, no, it was unsure, God doesn't, God's got no answer for you at the moment. Now that's just a guess as well. But what they're trying to do here is, um, they obviously know what the Urim and the Thummim is. They're saying, priests, you claim to be priests, we can't confirm it with your records, just hold off until we can discern God's will about what needs to happen with you guys. We don't want to do the wrong thing. The reason we were in exile in Babylon was because we kept doing the wrong thing. We want to make sure that from now on we do the right thing. Is that it? Is that all the people that is on God's freedom list? Leaders, Jews by family, by blood, Jews by location, worship helpers, and those who are unconfirmed? My seventh point this morning is that those who take God's offer are on God's list of freedom. What is it that all these people have in common? Some are definitely Jews. We see that with the leaders. We see that by the Jews by blood, the Jews by location, and the worship helpers. Some of them are definitely Jews. But notice that the unconfirmed Jews are still included, and the temple servants, who many of them are foreigners are included on God's freedom list. So it's not proving that you're a Jew that gets you freedom. There are people who are unconfirmed there. What unites them is that they all take God's offer of freedom and do what he says. God says, go back. If you want freedom, go back to Israel. And they accept it. That puts them on the freedom list that they accept God's offer of freedom and go back to the land and enjoy it. Now, this is not to say that people with particular functions and particular roles here don't get special notice. Obviously, they get special notice here. We see the leaders get special notice. We see the people who assist in corporate worship get special notice. And they are important. And the people who are listed that they're Jews by blood show that God's promises are fulfilled. But it is not as though people with special roles even are the only people who get on God's freedom list. And it's the same today. God's got a freedom list. It's not the freedom list to go back to the land of Israel. It's not as though all Christians are trying to get on a list so that we go back to Israel and take the land there. No, God's got another list. And it's a list of those who accept his offer of freedom from sin and suffering and death and go to the promised land of heaven. God's got another list today and he's got names on it. And we've got to resist the temptation to think that the people who are on God's freedom list today and going to the land of heaven where we're set free from sin are the special Christians, the people who have special roles just like we see listed here. We're tempted to think that the leaders of the church 
are on God's freedom list, just like we see the leaders of Israel are on God's freedom list. So definitely the pastors, definitely the elders, they're all on God's freedom list. Or those people who are born to Christian parents, just like we see people born to Jews are on God's freedom list here, we could think, oh, the people who are born to Christians, they're definitely going to heaven. But that's not necessarily true either. Or we could think that the people who are definitely going to heaven are the ones who are born in Christian countries, born in countries that have some sort of affirmation to uh, a Christian heritage. So like Australia, like America, like England, whereas people born in countries that have no heritage of Christianity, they're definitely not going to heaven. But if I was born in Australia, I'm going to heaven. Particularly if I've got Christian parents, I'm going to heaven. Or we start to think that those who assist with corporate worship or help out making sure that the, the church runs, they're the ones that are definitely going to heaven. The people who assist with you know, uh, leading the singing, just like we've got singers here in Israel. People who help with menial tasks around, just like we've got people who do that here. Like people who you know, clean the buildings. They're definitely going to heaven. The people who are like gatekeepers, modern day gatekeepers, that open up the front door, lock the front door, keep an eye on what goes in and out. If someone's nipping off with a computer, they go, what are you doing there? They're people who are definitely going to heaven. Those people who serve at church, they're on God's freedom list. But no, what gets you on God's freedom list is that you accept God's offer of freedom. He puts the offer out to everyone and says, you want freedom? You want freedom from sin? You want freedom from pain? You want freedom from suffering? Accept it. I've paid for it in Jesus Christ. Accept it and go back. Go to the promised land in the future. Now, that's not to say that doing things around the church doesn't get you special notice. I mean, God divides up some of the people here. He doesn't lump them all by name of to who they're descended by. He has a place for the priests. He has a place for the singers. He has a place for the, 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 the temple helpers, the servants, for the gatekeepers. And God does do that. He, he's going to say to some people, well done, good and faithful servant, for being involved and, and working hard as a Christian. Whereas some people will be getting into heaven as ones escaping through the flames. They've never really done much to help with church at all. They've never done much to, uh, to do what God wants them to do. They've accepted his offer of freedom, but that's about it. God does like us to do things, uh, and he does pay particular attention there. But it doesn't get you on the list. That passage that we read, that Jill read from Galatians chapter 3, tells us who's on God's list. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew, it doesn't matter whether you're Greek, it doesn't matter whether you're slave, it doesn't matter whether you're free, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It matters whether you're in Christ Jesus. That gets you on God's freedom list. What matters is if you've accepted that offer of freedom that he's made. How do you accept that offer of freedom that he's made? Well, you repent. Of your sins. You recognize that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong things in the past and you're unhappy about it and you need forgiveness and you make an effort to turn away from the evil deeds that you've done in the past. You repent and you believe that Jesus paid the price for you. You believe that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was taking the punishment that you deserve. You trust that that is so. You repent and you believe. And that's acceptance of God's offer of freedom.
That puts you on God's freedom list. That's all you have to do. And you inherit much more than these people on this freedom list are inheriting. They're going back to a land that's got enemies in it, it's got painful work that's ahead of them, they've got danger. We're going to a land where there's no pain, there's no death, there's no enemies. The freedom list today gets you so much more than the freedom list did here in Ezra Ezra chapter 2. Is it a big deal not to be on the freedom list that God has today, not be in the book of life? Well, yes, if you're not in the book of life, if you're not on God's freedom list for heaven, then you are found wanting and you are sent to hell to pay for your own sins. Jesus hasn't paid for your sins if you haven't repented and believed. And so you will pay for an eternity in hell. Finding out your name is missing on a list at a wedding reception isn't all that bad. It means you probably can't go in, you can't have the meal, you can't listen to the speeches, and you can't have a bit of a dance afterwards, although we're Baptists, so we don't necessarily dance, do we? Um, It's not that big a deal to not be on the, the list at a wedding. It's sad, but it's not that big a deal. To not be on God's freedom list for heaven is a very big deal. Finding out your name is missing from there is terribly bad. To get to the judgment throne and find out your name is missing because you never repented and believed is a horrible experience that none of us should want to have. And we see this pictured in Revelation chapter 20. Turn with me there, Revelation chapter 20. Easy to find towards the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 20. Page 1230 of the Black Church Bibles, 1230, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, page 1230 of the Black Church Bibles. It reads, this is John, the apostle, what he sees. He sees, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Make sure your name is on God's freedom list. I'd hate for anyone in this room to experience this on judgment day. Go before the throne, before God, where everything is fleeing from his presence. Heaven and earth are fleeing. And to be found when he opens up the book of life that your name is not there because you never accepted his offer of freedom. Let us speak with him now.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son into this world to die the death that we should have and that you now can make a genuine offer to all of mankind that whoever repents and believes in Jesus' death for themselves is able to inherit eternal life in heaven and have freedom for eternity. Lord, we thank you for this offer and we thank you that so many of us have accepted that offer, that you in your mercy and your grace towards us have made this offer and then given us the gifts of repentance and faith so that we would accept it. Lord, we pray that you may grant anyone in this room who has not been put in the book of life, may you grant them repentance unto faith today. May they fear judgment day and finding out their name is missing. May they not rest until they have put themselves right with you by saying sorry for their sins and trusting that Jesus died for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.